timeless novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis tells a story about the four Pevensey siblings. There's Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, who accidentally stumble their way through a wardrobe into this magical country called Narnia. This is a country full of talking animals, and there's a white witch that has cursed the land with this perpetual winter. I'm sure you've all probably heard elements of this story. At a critical moment in the book, three of the children, Peter, Susan, and Lucy, they're having to move across the country, sneak across Narnia to make their way to Aslan, who's this great lion and the Jesus figure of the story. And as they're making this secret journey across the country, they come to a moment when they have to cross this large clearing. They've been able to stay mostly in hiding, but now they've got to cross a field. And as they're moving across the field, they hear this sleigh with bells suddenly behind them, and they think it's the white witch that's hunting them down. So they start running for their lives across this field, and they just get across the clearing into this place where they could hide, and they hear the sleigh stop right behind them. And they're hiding and waiting in the silence. And finally, they send out their guide, Mr. Beaver, to check and see if everything's all right. And he he goes out, and quietly, they're waiting and waiting. And suddenly, Mr. Beaver comes back, and he's full of joy. And he says it's not the white witch that was behind them, instead... Strangely, in Lewis's story, it's Santa Claus that was behind them. And so suddenly the children come out really excited because it's been winter for a long time in Narnia, but it's never been Christmas. Now that Santa Claus has shown up, it's a sign that the white witch's curse is starting to melt away. The white, not the white witch, rather Santa Claus, he begins to get out various gifts from his bag that he gives to each one of these children. To Lucy, he gives this small vial full of liquid. A single drop of this liquid could heal any disease or wound or injury. And to Susan, he gives a bow and arrows, and he also gives her a horn that will bring help whenever it's sounded. And to Peter, he gives a sword, this great sword that he can use in this upcoming battle against the White Witch. And each gift is important for their upcoming adventure and is also fitting for each one of these children. Now, a lot of commenters on The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they draw out how weird this scene is. Like, out of nowhere, Santa Claus shows up in Narnia? Like, this is really strange, Lewis. It doesn't seem to fit at all. And there are some good reasons why Lewis is doing this, literary reasons, but he also has a good reason for us about God that he's trying to teach us and children who would read these books that God is including us in his mission of renewal. And more than that, God is gifting us in fitting ways for his work. So we could read a book like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and often can think, man, I wish our world was like that. I wish I was drawn into and included in an adventure and gifted in ways to be meaningfully active. But what's so brilliant about Lewis's writing is that this is precisely what is true of us. That we have been included in a pivotal, important mission. More than that, God has gifted us in ways that are fitting to what he desires to do in you and in me. He has gifted you here this morning. 
So we've been looking recently, talking about how we are sent on a mission. Stay with me. We are sent on a mission. The God did not call us to receive Jesus and then stay in passive Christianity. That's not what he intended us for. He's called us to himself and then sent us out to participate with him in the great need of our world in specific ways that he has gifted you and I. So this morning, we're going to continue to look at how we are sent and that God does not send us empty-handed or ill-equipped, but rather he sends us with good gifts to use in his mission. You with me this morning? So I want you to open up with me to the letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we are going to read this entire chapter because it's that good and that important. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this will be a longer reading. We'll have all of this on these slides for you here this morning. This is pivotal for us to see how God has gifted us in his mission of renewal. So hear these words again from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that right reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, 
giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. We say here at King's Cross to show this is a different kind of word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now this morning, to kind of show you where I hope to go and what I want us to see this morning, just want to give you this simple phrase. God has given to each person, has given a gift to each person by his spirit for the common good. Again, God has given each person a gift by his spirit for the common good. This morning, I just want to walk through each one of these phrases and to see what God has to teach us through this. So again, God has given each one of us a gift by his spirit for the common good. Um, Here this morning, look back at verse 7 here that we have here today. It says, summarizes this so well. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Every person in Christ has been gifted. Now to each one. So there is no such thing as a non-gifted Christian. You may think you've got nothing to offer. You may think you have nothing for anyone that's of value, but if you are in Jesus, hear me this morning, you have been given a gift. Now I want to distinguish. This is different from the natural gifts that God gives to everyone. God, in his great kindness, is constantly sustaining our world. He's restraining evil, he's creating order, and he has given people their many natural gifts that make them a great scientist or a teacher or a farmer. And theologians, they call this common grace. Common grace. You may have heard this term before. And it's common not because it's cheap, (laughs) not because it's simple, but rather it's common grace because it is given to everyone. What, What do I mean by this? Jesus talks about how Jesus makes the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He makes the the sun shine on those who do good and on those who do evil. And that God has given gifts to every single person, natural abilities, whether that's athletic or intelligence or humor or any other natural ability. God is the one who has given that to people. It is common grace that he's given to everyone. Now stay with me. This explains why you might find many non-Christians who do not follow Jesus that have more self-awareness, are more kind, and more generous than many people who follow Jesus. That's why many people who do not know the Lord might have better character than those that say they are following Jesus. It's because God's grace is also working in them. 
But God has also made them, created them, and placed them in their specific situations that led them to develop those great, wonderful character attributes. It is not just Christians that Jesus knit together in their mother's womb. It is not just Christians that are made in the image of God. It is every person, whether they say they trust in Jesus or not, he, by his grace, has been working in their life gifting them in many ways. So even if you are not following Jesus here this morning, you you may very well be filled with character and kindness and wisdom, but I hope that you see this also is a gift of God, that he's placed you in conditions, perhaps a family that has led to those things. Importantly, this also helps us understand the gospel more, common grace. Hear this. If we are made right with God based on how well we live, our character, our church attendance, our community involvement, you name it, if we are made right with God based on what good people we are, then we should expect Christians to be the cream of the crop. We should expect Christians who say they are made right with God to have a character that is far better than everyone else around them. That would make sense if we are made right with God by our own works. But scripture tells us that it is by grace, the gift of God, his kindness, that you are made right with God. It was not your character that impressed God. It was not your kindness that earned you a relationship with the King of Kings. It is nothing in yourself but God's free initiative towards you while you were a sinner. While you were unworthy, that's when God makes you his own by his kindness. And it's Jesus' death on the cross for us. That's what allows us to be accepted by God. But this means then that the most far away, the most undeserving, the people with the worst kind of character can be accepted by Jesus and called a Christ follower. Does this make sense? Those that are most far away and most undeserving that we'd say there is no way God would love that person, those are the ones he's seeking and calling to be his own. It is by grace you have been saved. So if this is true, if it's not our character, it's not our moral performance, not what good people we are, that that's what's leading us to be made right with God, but it's by faith this living connection and trust towards you, Jesus, I do not have what it takes. I could never be impressive enough for you. It is you by your kindness that you receive me. Then we should expect that Christians might be still pretty messy. If it's truly by grace and Jesus' kindness that we come to know him, then we should probably expect that those who say they are Christ followers still might need quite a bit of time before they demonstrate the kind of life we should expect of someone who says they know and are in a relationship with the living God. This could take a minute. So you might find that you have better character than those that say they follow Jesus. And stay with me. This does not mean... (laughs) does not mean that Christians therefore have an excuse to remain in immaturity or to have poor character. Christians are expected to grow. As Paul says, you need to put off your old self and you need to put on the new self created to be like Christ. You are in a process of transformation. That is the expectation by the grace of God in you. You do not stay the same. You do not remain in your old ways. There's change because of God in you. 
However, again, if you are not following Jesus here this morning, you might see the lives of Christians around you, and you might say, I know I'm a lot better than they are. And honestly, that might be true. You might have more patience than the Christians you know. You might be more generous than the Christians you know. But hear me, no one was made right by, by, uh, by their own works and their own effort. Every Christian you see was made right with God by grace, his kindness. And it is the same with you. You will never earn God's favor based on how well you live. It will only, because, only be because you come to God and say, I need you to make me right with the Father. Do you see this? It's only by grace that you are saved through faith. So all this to say, it is not our natural gifting that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12. Yes, there's a common grace, the gifts he gives to every person, but that's not what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12. He is talking about gifts that God gives by his Holy Spirit to every person who's in Jesus. Every person who's in Jesus, he gives gifts by his Holy Spirit. Now, this could be a strengthening of a natural gift that you already have. Let's say before you knew Jesus, he'd already led you to grow in patience. But now that you are in Christ, he increases that and strengthens that by his Holy Spirit. So now you have far more perseverance and faithfulness towards those who are difficult. It's by his Spirit. Or again, you might have had a positive attitude before you came to know Christ, but now that you are in him, he is increasing this by his spirit as a gift that you might be excellent at encouragement, seeing the challenges in other people's lives and speaking life into them. These are all gifts by his spirit. When we talk about spiritual gifts, what comes to mind for many people are the strange and supernatural gifts like speaking in tongues, or prophecy, or miracles, or gifts of healing. These are the ones that get a lot of attention, and they are great gifts. And yes, they are still active, I believe scripture is saying, still today, and meant to be used in the body. But we sometimes forget that God is also working in many ways by his Spirit in us, and is gifting us. Let me read this from a different passage, Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Paul writes this, he says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And hear this. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Maybe that first one strikes most people as a unique gift, strange prophecy. But would most people say, yes, it's a gift that God has given me to be able to serve? Would that come to our mind first? That God gives me an ability to show mercy that does not stand out to us quickly as gifts that God has given. It's not just the extraordinary, supernatural, different gifts. It is these that God has given you an ability to serve, to lead, to encourage, to give, all of these are works of God by his spirit. So hear me again. If you are in Jesus, God has given you a gift. He has given you a gift. If you are not in Christ, 
say the same for you, that in every way in life, I hope you see that God has been placing you in conditions that have led you maybe to develop the attributes that you have. But again, if you are in Christ, you are gifted. There is no exception. You may think you have nothing to offer, but hear me, you are gifted in Jesus. You may be hiding those gifts. <laughs> you may not be stewarding those gifts, but certainly God has planted some seed of a gift in your life by his spirit that he is so eager to grow and develop and unleash for the blessing of our world. You have been gifted. And if you are not sure about what this gift could be, just let me give you two brief things to maybe consider and to do to think about this more. One, I would say, go sit quietly with God and ask him, Lord, how have you gifted me by your spirit? God is excellent and knows how to speak to us as our shepherd to his sheep. So come sit in silence and say, Lord, what do you want to tell me about the ways you have gifted me? Be ready for his encouragement. Be ready for his challenge. So sit and listen to God. Ask him, how have you gifted me? Secondly, I'd say, if that's still difficult for you, ask those that know you well. Ask people that have been around your life for a long time, if you're uncertain, and say, how do you see maybe how God has gifted me by his spirit? And when they share comfort, like maybe kind, encouraging things to you, don't shut that down immediately, but receive the words they're speaking in faith and say, Lord, maybe you are working in this way in me. I'm going to own that and seek to cultivate that in my life. God has gifted each of you. So that's first. God has given a gift to each one of us in Jesus. Secondly, he's given these gifts by his spirit. He's given these gifts by his spirit. I love how Paul emphasizes this again and again here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. I think I have this on a slide for you as well. But listen to how Paul can't help but emphasize this over and over and again. Verses 4 through 6 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So he can't say this enough, that no matter what gifting you have, it is the same Lord working in you. We might have different things that we are excellent at, different things he has given, but it is all the same giver. All the same giver. So it is Jesus, by his Spirit, who's at work in you. Whatever way you were gifted, that did not come on your own. That is not your own power. That is not your own ability that you have somehow earned. That is a gift of God to you. I want to quickly look at two ways this needs to come to our hearts, <laughs> two ways this should affect us, put this into practice. If we see that God has given us these gifts by his spirit, first of all, it should humble us. It should humble us. Even if we know and can say, yes, yes, I see that these gifts come from the Spirit. It is amazing how, when we are succeeding in some work, how quickly we think that's because of our own ability. How quickly we think and want to give ourselves the credit that I'm so amazing and so good that this was happening. We forget that it is by His Spirit in us. And if we truly saw that every ability, gift we might have is from His Spirit, it would ruin our pride and our jealousy. 
If I truly see that I have not been able to make this happen on my own, but this has been a long cultivation by the kindness of God, it will not lead me to boasting, but into gratitude. Lord, thank you for your work in me. Particularly in a moment of success, when things are going well, it turns your heart away from that boasting, that self-applause that we would give ourselves in our heart, and instead it leads us to say, what have I been given? that I did not receive? What do I have that I have not received? It's all been from you, Lord. And in the same way, this cuts out our jealousy. If we know that it's God distributing these gifts as he sees fit, oh Lord, this should silence the internal competition meter that we have going on as we're always comparing ourselves to other people, what they have, what I have. And if we see that God's the one distributing these gifts and we say, you're much better at this, Lord, than I would ever be, it allows us to sit in contentment and in gratitude to Jesus. And Lord, I'm gonna celebrate what you're doing in that person because I know you gave them that gift and you're working something different in me. So that constant comparison and voice in our hearts that jealousy that gets so quickly stirred up in us. We say, Lord, you distributed these gifts as you see fit. I will praise you. And this is why Paul talks about the body, this metaphor. You don't see the hand getting jealous that the eye can see. You don't get the ear being jealous that the nose can smell. That's not how the body operates at all, is it? Rather, the body delights when any one member is exalted and is doing well because it benefits the whole body and we belong to one another. So there's not jealousy and pride and competition within our body because they see they're all one, so it should be in us. See how Paul writes this again in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. Hear this, so good. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So it is in you, King's Cross, we are one body, and we belong to one another. It's not meant to be one member getting highlighted, but the whole body that belongs together. So if one member is succeeding and doing well and finding great success, we celebrate that and are full of gladness. And if there's one member of a body that is hurting and struggling and in need, we will all feel that and want to come alongside and to carry that burden. But this ought to ruin our pride and our jealousy. Jesus is the one giving these gifts as he distributes them, as he determines. So first, it humbles us. Secondly, I believe this should help us recognize our limits. It should teach us to recognize our limits. Jesus is distributing these gifts. And as he does so, he gives a gift to everyone. Everyone has some gift, but no one has every gift. Everyone's got some gift, but nobody has every gift. That's not how he designed it. He wants us to be in need and to lean on one another. Consider this in the body again. No one member of the body has every ability. As he says, can I hear? Can the nose speak? These are not abilities that God has given to those various members because he wants them to lean on and to need one another. Every member has been designed with good gifts and with limitations. Things that we cannot do, 
that we are not good at so that we might lean on one another. I love this from Paul David Tripp. He's a counselor and speaker, and he says this. And he says every leader, but just take this as every person. He says every person needs to humbly assess not only where they are gifted, but also, and as important, whether he is not, where he is not. It is only when I humbly acknowledge the limits of my gifts that I can surround myself with people who are gifted in ways that I am not, smart in ways I will never be, and strong in areas where I am weak. If you're continually trying to work in areas that you've not been created to work, going beyond your limits, you will find yourself exhausted. More than that, you might well be hampering the opportunity of others to use their gifting. If you're constantly filling in that space because you think you're needed there too, you are hampering the ability of others to use their gifting. It is in seeing our limits cause us to step back and actually lean on one another. Now, a quick caveat here. Even as we need to learn to say no, even as we need to learn to recognize our limits, there are ways that, yes, we are all called to serve and to die to ourselves. We're called to do things that we don't necessarily always love or find life-giving. For instance, the next time you have a spouse or roommate or a parent ask you to help clean your house, just try telling them, I'm sorry, it is not my gifting to clean toilets, (laughs) right? I learned today I have limits, and that is not how the Lord has gifted me. You're going to find that does not get you very far, right? That's that's not going to go well. But yes, God has given us limits, but there are also ways that we are called to serve and to die to ourselves and enter in even when we don't like it. I must persevere and serve and care for others even when it's difficult for me. But if you find yourself again and again and again in a place where you are exhausted, doing things that you are not good at doing, maybe just pause and say, Lord, am I not recognizing my limitations? With that, it means, am I not recognizing the places you have gifted me? And humbly saying, you have not gifted me here, and you don't want me in that space. So feel the freedom of that. God has created you in a specific role, a specific fashion to enter into his mission. Learning to say no is healthy. So first, God has given each person a gift. Secondly, by his spirit. Lastly, want to look here. He's done this for the common good. He's done this for the common good. We saw that again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. To each one, God has given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. That as he is equipping us, he's not giving these to us that we can exalt ourselves, make much of ourselves, or seek our own ambition, or chase down the daydreams we might have about our own greatness. That is not why Jesus has given us these gifts. It is so that we might participate with God in his mission, so that we could come along and serve and care for a world that is lost and in need. Now hear me, many of the gifts that God gives to his people Sometimes people think they aren't much. Because it's your gifting, you don't appreciate it very much. You don't see it as a gift, so we downplay it and degrade it. Oh, it's not very great, or it's not very spiritual, so we don't see how Jesus could use this for others in our lives. But hear me, even if it seems small and minuscule to you, if you will offer that gift and say, God, use me in this way, 
you might be stunned at what God is able to accomplish. I was really encouraged hearing about the story of a man named Humphrey Monmouth. I know it's a great name, right? Humphrey Monmouth. And he was uh, an English merchant back in the 1500s. And wool was the main trade of England at this time. And Monmouth was one of the great merchants trading wool internationally. So he had incredible business intelligence, amazing connections, and God had given him a great deal of wealth. One night, Monmouth went and he heard a preacher named William Tyndale preaching. And it changed the course of his life, changed the course of our world. And William Tyndale at this time was different in his preaching because he clearly explained what God's word was saying. And at this time, the only translations of the Bible available were only in Latin. So even if you had no ability to understand Latin, You couldn't get into the scriptures. You had to rely on the priests and what they taught that was said in the scriptures. And this led over the course of centuries for a number of unhealthy traditions to develop that were never in the word of God. And the people didn't know better because they had no access to the word of God. So William Tyndale had it on his heart to translate the Bible from its original Greek into the everyday common English of the people. God placed this on his heart. So he reached out to the Bishop of London and said, would you support me, help me financially so that I can do this work? But the Bishop of London said no. But it's right at this time that Humphrey Monmouth was hearing William Tyndale preach and hearing his heart to translate the scriptures into English. And so he connects with him and Monmouth uses the gifts God had given him to bless Tyndale. He invites Tyndale to stay in his house, to eat his food, to live in his lodging so that he could give his whole self time and effort to translating the scriptures. More than that, Monmouth connected him with other merchants who had international connections and helped Tyndale get all the way to Wittenberg in Germany where Martin Luther lived so that he could more safely translate the word of God. And it was in the midst of this time that Monmouth was thrown into prison the infamous Tower of London, because of his help to William Tyndale. The crown was resisting this work of translation. For over a year, he was in the Tower of London, waiting. And how easy that would have been for Monmouth just to give in, just to say, yes, this was a mistake. I'll stop investing in this work. I'll stop helping Tyndale. But he did not. He persevered and using what God had given him to bless other people. I love this. When Monmouth finally got out, he continued helping Tyndale. And incredibly, he helped him smuggle 5,000 English copies of the New Testament into England. The first time ever the New Testament had been put into English, and they're smuggling 5,000 copies. They they hide them in bundles of cloth. They, They bury them in sacks of flour. They make these watertight boxes and drop them into casks of oil and water and wine. And they're bringing these into the country. And all of this because Monmouth had these business connections all over that he's using for the work of God to smuggle Bibles into England. And slowly but surely, they find their way into bookstores and are secretly sold. And the word begins to spread. People are forming groups to read these New Testaments in their home. And the English Reformation was lit and it was not put out. Incredible transformation of our world. 
Even today, sitting here, the, the Bibles you have have Tyndale's fingerprints all over them. So many of the words and the phrases we use. It's estimated roughly 80 to 90% of the King James Version that has been so transformative in our world and culture. Most of that was a direct mirroring of Tyndale's work. But none of this likely would have happened if Humphrey Monmouth had not used his gifts for the glory of God. If he had not used his connections, his business acumen, and his wealth to see how God are you leading me to use this for the common good, many of us might not have Bibles in our laps today. Who knows what God would have done or not done if he had not entered in and offered his life with his gifting. What transformation. So let me ask you, how has God gifted you? What has he put in your life And how are you using that for his glory and for the common good? I'm going to invite the band to come back up here for us to sing a little bit more here. But helps me see how much I should appreciate, how much I should investigate what God has given me when I see what great lengths God has gone to to make me his own and to give me these gifts and include me in his mission. These gifts came to you, and they were not cheap. They were not simply bought for you to live in these ways of God. But Christ came and gave his very self, that he might draw you into a living relationship with God, and that his spirit might come dwell in you to gift you in specific ways. None of this was cheap or easy for God. What great cost for you to be involved in his mission. So appreciate Praise him for his gifts. Investigate them and use them for the common good. And now, would you all pray with me here this morning? Jesus, we know there is such immense need in our county and here in central Kansas. We know there are many people who are hurting and who are lost and who need your presence in your gospel. And Jesus, the way you have designed for your work to go forward is through your body through your people in this room and the ways that you've gifted them, Jesus. So I pray, would you stir up right now an awareness of how you desire to work through these people? God, would you silence those voices of false humility that say, no, this is not an ability that I have. Instead, would they own, yes, Jesus, I believe you are using this in me. I accept and receive that this is something you're longing to cultivate and grow in me. Lord, would you lead us into thankfulness and gratitude? Would you lead us into boldness for your kingdom here? I'm going to invite you all to stand if you're able. We're going to continue.